You're listening to the Gate Charlotte Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. It is good, very, very good to see you. Last week at this time, I was not feeling good. I was uh, going through the COVID and... That was, uh, that was unpleasant uh, for quite a lot of her days um, until Christy Ziemer. Uh, she came by and dropped off a special homemade concoction uh, that since taking it, I have genuinely felt much better. I can't prescribe it as a doctor, but if you ever have symptoms, go to Christy Ziemer. <laughs> Her husband, Timmy, shared a story recently (laughs) about the uh, Norwegian Navy. I didn't know if you guys had seen it recently, where apparently they they paint stripes upon their ships. I didn't know this. He was was sharing this. They they, uh, paint stripes upon their ship uh, so that when the Navy comes in, they can Scandinavian. If you guys didn't uh, want to take part in community, you would miss out on these things. All because of COVID. I, I now have that wonderful story. Just so you, you all know, my, my daughter specifically asked me not to share that this morning. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. Um, I, I want to take a moment to, uh, to honor Benny Johnson. Uh, she passed away this past week. Um, Elizabeth and I, over the last years, we'd gotten to know Benny through her times, and she would visit here in Charlotte over at um, Hesh and Bonnie's place. Um, she would speak oftentimes on prayer and on health, and uh, she's been such an inspiration to our family. Uh, John and Tiff know her better than I do, and, and some of y'all do as well. Um, if I could say one word about her, it would be her poise in the midst of just tremendous uh, burden or pressure or seemingly difficulty that their church out in California, Redding, uh, California faced. And she would stand in the middle of whatever was going on and with just this buoyant poise would declare the word of God. And she has a book that to me has been a big inspiration called The Happy Intercessor. And if you guys like to pray and after a while know sometimes prayer, maybe initially it seems laborious, she's the one that's helped to give us the assurance that it's to end in joy. Prayer is to, to end us in the presence of the king so we know his plans and then declare it like the mighty woman that she is. So she's been one that's been an inspiration to us. And so we, we grieve with that loss of our, uh, of our sister. Uh, it's also a wonderful day for the Johnson family because she is with our king. And, and just know that the presence and the comfort and the joy that is on that family and on that community is indescribable. And for all of us that have gone through similar losses in our own life, we know that as followers of Jesus, this is part of our confidence. We've been given the Spirit of God. It's times like this especially that he testified that this world and this home is not the final word on things. But it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is that we get to be with him in glory forever and ever and ever. And that's where she is right now, enjoying the benefits of a very fruitful life. And so we can come together like today and, and worship God. And that's good news. And today I do also want to speak on our glory. I'm going to be speaking on abortion today. And it's going to be for, uh, you know, understanding there's kids in the room. Um, but it's going to be a topic that I want to make sure that, that we 
properly situate in the presence of glory. You and I, like Benny, like all of us, we are eternal beings. And uh, in a topic that is uh, so concentrated in our world right now, oftentimes just hearing about it is all going to come from a very temporal, present, uh, situated circumstance where only what happens now is the environment that we hear these words from. But the truth is that you and I are made for eternal life. Each of us, as we see each other in our faces, we are made for eternal things. And so it's, it's just good wisdom, if nothing else, to seek after what is an eternal perspective on any issue, especially for the ones that in our culture and in our context today create such divisiveness. Um, so I'm going to situate us like we have been doing already in uh, the presence of the Lord first by, by prayer. So let's just take a moment, if we would, and rest. Jesus, you are our home. Thank you for making yourself known to us. Thank you for making known to us our Father. As John had said just a moment ago, Lord, thank you that the work of our life is complete already because of you, Jesus. And now we can relax. You have taken away every reason for fear. And as a result, Lord, our spirits can soar. Our joy can be real. Our love can be unthreatened. And our family can be manifested in a room like right now. I love you so much, Dad. Father, I do pray for courage for all of us in this room. We stand upon Jesus, who is the resurrected King. And in your day, Lord, you stood well for our Father. And we who are like you today, we stand with our Father. And so, Lord, I ask today for an impartation of courage for all of us in the room and wisdom and clarity, removing all confusion so that we know that as daughters and sons, Lord, we can stand on solid ground. Jesus, we are yours. We love you dearly. Amen. Amen. All righty. So each one of you and I, we have a deep longing in our heart for glory. Each one of us, whether you've recognized it or not, has been motivated to know great purpose, great calling, and ultimately great glory for your own life. Uh, it's the reason why oftentimes we are willing to you know, sacrifice greatly. It's oftentimes the reason why we, we dream big. It's the reason why also sometimes we, we get so upset at the shortcomings of our own lives because we know that we were made for something that is incredible, made for purpose, made for something that we know we should be experiencing through our own lives individually and corporately. And this has been the very DNA and identity that was breathed into you and I right from the very beginning. And so as we, as we orient ourselves today in an in eternal discussion, we go back to the very beginning. And if we remember our, our scripture stories, when we go back and look at the Garden of Eden, which was the Garden of Delight, that's the word for Eden, we see that you and I were made in delight. We were made in an environment of glory that was lacking no good thing. And you and I, as human beings, the very first thing that humanity saw 
when it opened up his eyes, was the face of our Father, breathing life in a holy kiss into the very lungs for the first time, humanity. The, the very first thing that you and I saw when we were made in the image of God long ago was the face of God looking at us in delight, breathing his very spirit into us. Before we could even have a voice in our own lives, before we even knew what love was, we were given the very presence of God himself in a kiss. That kiss from father to son to daughter has been imprinted upon your and I's DNA ever since then. And it is the great deep calling out deep for each one of us that we, over the course of our lives, are always longing to have that not only restored, but then reminded of it day after day after day after day. That's the first impression of mankind is the face of God upon us. And so for the rest of all of humanity and time, we seek after the face of God because that is our true home and always has been. In that place, we have a father who sees you and me, sees us in, in his image because he made us in his image. He sees us as, as we were perfectly shaped like him, as we were made with the, the unique hair and colors of eyes and, and all the wonderful appendages that, that we have. He shaped us just as we are supposed to be and uniquely in that, in that way. And so from the very beginning of time, man was situated in the delight of our father, looking at him face to face. And this has been our glory until that time where also man took that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and, and ate of it. And in that made a decision no longer to find identity, no longer to find glory, no longer to find purpose, no longer to find love, no longer to find meaning, no longer to find life from our Father, but to find all those things in creation itself. That was the, the deciding line. Not only did we gain the knowledge of good and evil, which to us was death, it was also saying that we were going to have to constantly take that which is created to fulfill us. And so ever since then, you and I and all of humanity has been on a race constantly out of a hungry striving to find satisfaction to the things that are created as opposed to the creator himself. It's why even seemingly good things like relationships turn into battles of power and coercion and control, and hurt, and anger, and envy, and all these things. Even, even seemingly wonderful people like we have in our families. We end up losing them and looking for them to satisfy our own lives. Because ever since that one decision long ago, we've been looking down instead of looking up for who our identity is and our fullness is. And that identity largely has been lost to so many people. It's the reason why in our culture right now we see so many identities floating around out there. I don't know if I'm male or female, people will say. They don't know exactly what kind of orientation they have with their desires for others. And so everyone has multiple identities. Literally, we are a schizophrenic society, walking around with multiple identity disorder because we are looking to the creation as opposed to the one who knows our identity better than anyone else. Even in looking after, amen. Even in looking after these things, we can't yet find something that's tangible. It's the whole reason why the philosophy of existentialism exists, because we are looking to something outside of ourselves, these tribes around us, to find meaning and purpose in. But then we inherently know somewhere deep within inside of us intuitively that these things really don't identify us. And so that's why our culture is exceedingly anxious, because it just doesn't fit right. The words of people, the words of culture aren't sitting inside of our spirits enough to make us fully realize who we are. 
And so we wander aimlessly a lot of times, thinking that we are not lost when all around people are deathly lost. And that's our culture right now. That's what it's been like for a long time. And so people are inherently seeking after what's wise, what's not wise, based on their own minds. And we've lost our minds. But along the way, and from the very beginning, Jesus was promised to us. He was promised to us from the uh, very mouth of God that he would restore all things. He would restore our identity. He would restore our sense of peace. He would grant to us salvation and deliverance from these things that have entangled us over the years. And in so doing, the story of God is also replete with things about who we are as human beings, that he created us. From Job, he says, Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? Job 31, 15. So it says that our identity is one who has been created and fashioned intentionally. Job 12, 10 says, In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. In Proverbs 16, 4, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And so we see that in the, the, the story of God and God's people throughout history. He has been also giving us little hints here and here. Hey, I, I am the one who made you. I, I love you. I've given you purpose. I want you to begin to awaken more and more to who I am. And this, this gradual awakening culminated in Jesus and in the revelation of God in the face of Jesus. When he came, what was astounding to me among many things about Jesus was the peace that he carried at all times, was his buoyancy against circumstances at all times, his liveliness. He had this life at all times that was flowing in and out of him. He was able to withstand tremendous pressure, persecution, attacks, and yet look at the face of those people that were doing that and, and forgive them. It's, it's amazing to me. He, he was helping us to see what the face of our Father looks like in everything that he did. He was the identity both of God and he was the identity also of you and I. He is our identity. He is our, our flesh and blood. The face of Jesus is our face. And it's the face of our Father. It's one of the great mysteries that has been revealed through us in Jesus is that he is one of the Trinity and that we are in him. And so we are connected to him in the Trinity. It's astonishing. This is the, what some theologians would call the, the perichoresis. This is the, the, the gradual growing into the divinization, as others would say it. So this is who our identity is. We have been made to become like Jesus. And so in seeing him, we see ourselves. And so when we talk about any kind of discussion of identity or of any discussion about moral implications and ethics, we start and we always start with Jesus. Always look at him. Always look at him to any question that's out there. He's the one who has perfectly revealed these things. In that place of Jesus walking this earth, he also showed us this perfect union that he had at all times with our Father. Jesus would say things like, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only speak what I hear the Father speaking. And then he says, as you follow me, you will experience these same things. Part of that was suffering, but also a great portion of that is getting to know Father and what he's saying and following him and getting to see what he gets a chance to do. And so as sons and daughters, you and I get a chance to have the veil pulled back and look at what the divine plan is every day of our lives. You and I get to listen for him and hear him speak to us and encourage us, speak to him about who our real identity is. I love you. You're my beloved. You're my delight. All my delight is in you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to watch out for you. Hey, if, if I didn't spare my own son, how am I not willing you give all these things? 
You who are my son and daughter, I am for you. I'm never against you. It's my good delight to give you the kingdom. The Father would say all these things. And so because it's true in Jesus, it's true in you and me as well. And this is the face of a kind and loving and dear Father who came to us first in the garden before we had a voice and breathed life into us. Jesus, his son, comes to us when we had fallen from glory. We're evil in his eyes. This is what Jesus says. And loved us before we could love ourselves. So before we had become fully human in Jesus again, he loved us. Before we could become strong like we are now in Christ, whole and full, when we were weak, we were damaged, we were, we were like nothing in the world, Paul would say. Jesus came to us and he declared his identity for us. Before we could give him anything, he gave to us everything. And so as our identity is like his and we see that, we see that it is our glory also to love those who have no voice, to love those who have no ability to love us back, to love those who have absolutely no place yet in this world. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but you kind of know where I'm going with this. Jesus himself is humanity glorified. He shows us what love looks like. He had the perfect existence in heaven before coming to earth. Everything. He had the bliss of the Father's face always upon him. He had no pain, no sickness, no death in his presence. He had everything he could ever want. It was right there. And he willingly left all of it. It's this great mystery that has been revealed at this time. Just like a husband will leave his father's family to be with his bride, so Jesus left the family of the Father and came with us here on earth in the midst of a time and a place that he said these days are evil. These days are less than glorified. These days are, are, are broken, and we see it all around us. Jesus is the one that left all these things to came, come into our brokenness. And that's what love does. Love comes into brokenness to heal and to save brokenness. Love comes into small things, weak things, things that are nothing, to make things something, to make things wonderful, to make things glorious. This is what the face of Jesus looks like. This is what the face of you looks like. This is who you're called to be. In the same way, everything you see about Jesus that's true of him is true of you. Everything. You are resurrected. You are seated with Christ on the throne. You are a kingdom of priests. You are like him in all these ways. And what does love do? Love sacrifices. And so I'm going to read from John 15. And if you guys know this passage, which has always been uh, some of my favorites, this is coming from the Last Supper. So this is the, the last meal that Jesus had with his best friends and also uh, the, the ladies, the, the women that he was with. And uh, for all the women that are out there, uh, it doesn't record any women in this, uh, at that Last Supper, but they were there. And just to reaffirm some strong things that our uh, tradition, our, our, our Christian faith emphasizes, that the very first evangelists, the very first people to share the gospel were women. <clears throat> so the, the very first witness that God is resurrected, that Jesus is the King, the Messiah, was from women. It was women who had the money bags. You know, they, they gave it to Judas. <laughs> but they had the money. It was them that were supporting the ministry of Jesus. And it was them who were in this room. It was women who didn't leave Jesus on the cross. And so there, there is no greater affirming faith out there, religion out there, than Christianity of women. 
And so with that in mind, in John 15, I'm going to read starting with uh, verse 9. And, and I, oh man, I, I wish, <laughs> Holy Spirit help always. I, I wish that we could be in this room and we are in this room right now. You know, when, these, when we hear the word of God spoken, it's not just 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago, whenever it was written. You're hearing the word of God as if it was spoken right then, and it is being spoken right now because the word of God is living and active. These words that I'm speaking to you, they are spirit and life. These are the words of God. They're not my words. They're words that he is speaking now through me. So if you want to know what it's like to be in the room with these guys, have you ever hungered and lost for that? I have. You are right now in these words. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. So it's a big theme right now that I'm getting at, which is love, by the way. <laughs> if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So just the basic logic here is that as you obey God and remain in his love, you will have joy. This culture, all of us, the thing that we want more than anything else is happiness. Better yet is joy. And, and it's, he's a good shepherd. He makes clear to us how we can have joy. Obey. Remain in his love. I've told you this so that, you, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And this is the verse that I really want to key on, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And this is my command, love each other. A lot going on in that passage. That verse 13, greater love has no one than this. They lay down their life with their friends. Uh, in our culture, love looks like a lot of different things. Uh, for instance, in the Supreme Court's decision to uh, institutionalize same-sex marriage, the, the argument for what love is, written by the majority opinion, was that love is what comes from the other person. That how dare anybody deprive someone else of love because love comes from the other person. Jesus says, as I have loved you, love one another. And he goes on and says, I, as, I, as, a, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And so Jesus defines love as that which first comes from the Father. Jesus loves first. God loves first. And then through that love, we serve. We give our life away. We love by giving. We love by sacrificing. We don't love by receiving that from the other person. That's the creation. That goes all the way back to the garden. So even look at the very logic of our nation's understanding of love, which is now codified in our you know, Supreme Court, that says that love is what the creation gives to you. And how dare someone take that from you? That's a right that we're all supposed to have. And so it's a, a complete twisted idea of what love is. And, and so that's, that's in our nation, but we are eternal beings that come from God. And so as bearers of the very image of God, our call is to declare to everyone around us exactly what love looks like. And love, love looks like giving to another person. According to Jesus, love looks like sacrificing. And he proves this in, uh, in what he's about to do 
um, he, he proves that this is our glory. In John 17, he says, Father, glorify me as I was glorified with you from the very beginning of the world, from the very foundation of the world. And he goes on further to talk about this glory is going to happen when he's lifted up. And so Jesus will be lifted up. He'll be glorified when he's lifted up, which means he'll be glorified when he sacrifices himself. He'll be glorified when he gives love, when he lays his life down for all of us. And so that longing and purpose that you and I and all of us have for glory, for greater purpose, happens when we give our lives away. And that, that's why so often, you know, it feels just good to give. That's why when after some time of sacrificing for whatever the cause might be, there's just this deep feeling of just satisfaction. Like, yeah, like we were made for this. We were made to give our lives away. We, we, and after a while, and, and you all know this, after a while of doing this, we don't, we don't care if anyone knows. We don't care if anyone sees because inherently this is the law of the universe. This is how God made things. This is what love looks like. Before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. So in some mysterious way, love was embedded into creation as sacrificial, as the slain Lamb of God. And so when we step into that, we are stepping into what love really is, and we are stepping into therefore glory. And it's the exact opposite of what our culture says, who is eating from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, looking for all these other things ravenously to fill themselves up with. They can't get enough. They're going to have to control the whole world. That's what it feels like. That's why one of the calls, John mentioned a second ago, that's why one of the calls we have as Christians is to rest and to always be in a place of rest because that which is in us cannot be taken from us. We actually don't have to fight for it. If my followers of this world, they would be fighting, says Jesus. And so we see that love itself gives. And this is the glory of Jesus. And so doing, he also showed us, uh, how about to say this? So you and I are made in the image of God. And so part of our purpose is to reveal to all of creation the image and nature of God. It's part of what we proclaim. It's part of how we live our lives. All of creation is to know God the Father through our lives. And so we declare what he is like when we give, when we sacrifice, when we have that type of love. It degrades our image. It degrades the image of God. It's, it's, if I could say it, it's blasphemous when we are involved in self-centered love. It shows the exact opposite nature of our Father. And it trains and disciples nations on self-centeredness and on the opposite of what love is. And so I'm, I'm, I'm helping you guys to see that what our aim at always is never ourselves. It's always another. It's always how we can give. And that's, that's the ultimate glory. And, and this serves as the philosophically or kingdom perspective uh, foundational route to get underneath abortion. Once we see that our purpose is to give our lives. We recognize why certain passages now make sense. The, the, the word out there on the street is my body, my choice. The word in the kingdom is that these bodies are not our own. That I, I live, uh, I give my life as a living sacrifice. I, I give my body as a living sacrifice, Paul would say. You give up the right to your rights when you become a follower of Jesus Christ because he did. And he was glorified in so doing we, we give up the right to identify ourselves when we follow Jesus. We give up the right to decide, who am I? 
Jesus has already said who you are. And in, in so doing, you become fully satisfied as who you are in Christ. When you give up the right of your body, you become glorified as well. There's, there's a deep sense of satisfaction that happens in that. This is one of the ways that actually you can protect your marriage. This is, this is actually one of like marriage 101. You, you don't have a right over your, your body. You give your body to one another in marriage, and that actually protects you from, uh, from the demonic. That's another story. But that's, that, that goes in our marriage class whenever we have that. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about the fun of that. And so Jesus shows us, Jesus shows us that when he gave up his body, and therefore was resurrected and saved all mankind in that, uh, in that act, we ourselves also, in giving up the right of our bodies, we are also glorified. We are elevated to the place of God. In the law, in the, in the state of North Carolina, there's a law that says that it's illegal for anybody to take the life of a baby inside of a mom. And, and so, you know, this seems obvious, right? You know, you can't go and kill someone, uh, you know, a baby and a mom unless the mom says so through abortion. And so who has the power to decide if this is a life worth saving? Our law says people do. Our, our, our laws say humanity has the right to say that that's a life worth living or a life worth killing. And so that's what it means to live in the world is that we have power to define life. When it was God who before we had a voice spoke into us and said, no, you have life because I say you have life. And so we as image bearers of God, we speak life over all creation. We speak life into those that have absolutely no function within us other than to be dependent upon who we are as human beings. This is, this is a, a truism of the universal principle of love. We, we cannot define ourselves. We simply receive from God who he tells us we are, and we find in so doing we are joyful. We are peaceful. And, and if you're anything like me, there's times and seasons where we doubt that for a lot of reasons. And so the, I'm preaching to you and counseling to you. There's, there's, there's a time and a process to all that I'm saying. And there's compassion and there's all these things. But I'm, I'm making it really clear just from the scriptures exactly where the roots were, the, the foundations of our love in Christ are. Um, in uh, that, that idea that it is you and I who defines what life looks like. It is you and I that defines if this weak form of life is worth saving or not. Is the exact same philosophy that the Nazis used when they were going and taking the Jews to the concentration camps. It's the exact same philosophy that we saw in the gulags of the Soviet Union where they were wiping out millions of people because they didn't believe that they were worth living. It's the same philosophy that was in colonial racist America when they were putting slaves under chains because they didn't believe that they were worthy of human life. It's the same idea that's existing when we say that that person in our belly doesn't have life. It's the exact same idea. You wouldn't say to someone who's older, well, you know, you're, you're not as spry as you used to be, and you're, you're requiring me to expend more of my resources than I would like, so we're just going to go ahead and kill you. It's the same idea. It's the exact same idea. And so if it's true that we're not going to kill somebody that maybe has a broken leg or maybe is old and has to go to assisted living, we're not going to kill someone who's dependent upon us inside of a, of a body as well. All right, you guys are doing great. You guys are doing great. Um, and so, you know, as, as Christians, as normal people, we, we rightly say that these ideas from the Nazis, from all these other things, they're, they're, they're bad. And so as Christians, we also are unapologetic about this. 
we, we wouldn't say to some, um, excuse me for saying these things, like some child molester admits, hey, I'm sorry that, that you're uncomfortable with this idea or I'm sorry that this is difficult to understand. I, I understand where you're coming from. It's just not okay to do that. But please, are, are you going to be able to, to hear this? It's, it's okay if, if, you know, if that's a little insensitive for you. No, of course not. Like we, we are unapologetic that this is what life is like. And that doesn't give us license to be mean or rude about it. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But as Christians, we're unapologetic about this is what life is like. We, we are going to protect those that are the least among us. And that's, you know, Paul talks about it in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, that, uh, that he chose those who are weak amongst the world to shame those who are strong. He chames those who are nothing to shame those as if they were something. And if you've been like me at times in your life, you felt like you're nothing. And God's like, yes, you're the one. I love you. I'm coming into you. And you're like, well, I haven't loved you. He's like, but I loved you first. <laughs> I've got nothing to offer you. Yes, but I, I'm going to give you everything so that you're living a life that's worthy. And that's true, exactly true of a baby that's out of us. That, that, that baby, oh, man, so we didn't know what love was until God in all of his majesty in Jesus comes to us in this place of evil and loved us first. And so who do you think is going to be the first person to share what love is like to that baby by giving that brave baby life? So you see in the very act of giving birth, it is already showing this baby that it's worthy of life. It has already given this baby a birth certificate of success, a birth certificate to know that, hey, you're, you're worthy because I had you. Because we are simply agreeing with what God has already said in this. And so in these things, this is why you know, the, Paul also said that women are saved through childbearing. Because in, in so doing, you, you give, of, like women especially, you give so much of yourselves, just like Jesus did on the cross, that, that there's a salvation, there's a healing for you. It, it brings humility to your heart and your mind. It recognizes that life is better to give away to someone else. It's better to, to give than to receive. You recognize that in weakness and in pain and in suffering, you find a love within you that you didn't know you had before. And, and this is the reason why it's good to come after the weak. Now, in the world, they say, no, 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 no. It's, you know, if you're poor or if you have difficult life or because the world is evil, don't have a baby. And that's the exact opposite of the kingdom. The kingdom, Jesus says, yeah, it's, it's, it's a terrible world out there. It's really, really difficult. That's why we need you to love this person. That's why they, they need people that are going to be loved all the way up and through birth. And then, and then if necessary, like given to a family who wants to love them through adoption. There's so many ways to show how this is a loving thing to do for someone else. And the fears that all of us will have normally as parents, they don't go away whether you're pregnant or not. We've got five kids at home, and we don't know how sometimes we're going to make the, 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 the ends meet. That's normal. That's okay. None of us have things figured out a lot of the times. None of us are supposed to. When we enter into marriage, Elizabeth and I, we've been married 16 years now. We didn't think that we had it all together. I mean, there, there's aspects of it that are terrifying if you think about it. Like, how are we going like, to you know, live in 10 years? Or I mean, we've got kids. Don't even tell me about kids. And, and so we, we don't ever have things figured out. But that's why God is with us. God says, hey, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. God says, hey, don't think about what to eat or what to wear. You know, the, the pagans think about these things. Your Father in heaven will take care of you because you're worth more value than the sparrows and all these other things. We, so we enter into a life dependent always because our moms and our dads showed us through dependency that they could take, take care of us. And so salvation happens through these things. Yeah. Uh, so, we've got just a few more minutes. Um, in so doing, in, in loving those who are weaker than us, 
There's a grace that comes when we are weak ourselves. Bless the merciful, for you shall receive mercy. Um, most of us have insecurity about entering into times of weakness. I mean, I, would, I do anyway. Um, and so when we are giving our lives to those who are weak, it's an act of mercy. It's an act of love. But we're also training ourselves that when we enter in and those times happen, when we're fatigued or we're sick or we need someone to take care of us, we know because intuitively because of how we've given ourselves to others that we also will be taken care of. We don't have to be afraid because we've, we've tapped into this universal love that God has given to us. And so it trains us in righteousness when we're also giving away our lives like this. So again, these are all things that, why it is that, that we save and, and look at protecting lives. All right, so... This is, this is our mission. This helps get us away from self-centeredness. This also helps to make clear to us what it is that we're called to do, and it helps others to see God for who he is. Um, there is a warning in, in this. All right, so there are many who have gone out amongst us, as John would say in 1 John, who have a different gospel than the one I'm preaching to you right now. I'm speaking to you plainly as one who's in fellowship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that there are those who will say that this is not true what I'm saying to you. Let those be accursed that say these things. As Paul would say, you know, be careful those who have a different gospel than this. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm just telling it to you plain because there's a lot of voices in the church that are telling you, oh no, we should be caring about, you know, women's rights in this. I'm like, that's a different gospel, friend. I love you, but that's a very different, different gospel. In saying these things, I hope you hear it in my tone uh, of, a, of just a restfulness and unapologeticness, but also there is compassion here. Um, you and I who know Jesus, we have been awakened to Jesus. We're able to see. He is the logos, as John tells us. Logos is the same root for logic. Those that don't think like you in these ways is because they don't have the logos or the logic in them to see this. And so that's why there's compassion. If they see our anger coming at them, they're not going to hear Jesus. And so we do not fight like the world fights for these type of things. In every discussion that we would have about abortion, from a believer's perspective, we are doing so full of our satisfaction in the Father who kisses us and who delights in us and who sees us in our weakness and showers us with great love who has opened our eyes to now see these things with great love and compassion. And so in that spirit, we speak to someone else about it. And so on the other hand, for those that would say that it's necessary to strike a fight and be vitriol and anger about this, do not do that. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks for letting me be a pastor there. <clears throat> There's times where we need to preach, and this is a preaching time. Um, if I'm counseling you, uh, I have great compassion. Uh, there are times when, uh, you know, the, the, the baby will attach to, uh, you know, the tubes of the mom. And then you have the ectopic pregnancy that can genuinely uh, kill a woman. And so in those situations, I, I, we were never meant to be the decider of, of death or life. You know, it, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. In those situations, there are times when you ask God for mercy. Help, help me make this decision. And there's just like common sense involved with that. I do know of times when a baby has moved from the tube and replanted, and, and that's a miracle. I, I do know of babies that have been born ectopically, and the mother has been fine. I, I know of times when that hasn't happened. 
And so I, I also say that from a very compassionate view of what is a very small percentage of times that this is happening. The vast majority of cases that are happening with this are because people forgot how to have sex. <clears throat> just kidding, just kidding. They, they knew exactly what they were doing, right? <laughs> So just for some levity, there, there is other wisdom out there. <laughs> yeah, all right, so I'm going to wrap this up in just a second. Um, we do give gentleness to the unbeliever because they don't know the logic and the, lo- the, the logos. Jesus, if you want to have a fun time, uh, look at John 7 especially. And he's arguing with the Pharisees. And, uh, and he says, hey, if you knew the Father, you would know me who's with you. And, and that, that's a circular argument. That doesn't make a lot of sense. If you knew the Father, you would know me. Well, yeah, yeah duh. But I don't know the Father. Well, I- exactly. You know? And so it's like with an unbeliever, they, they don't yet know the Father. They don't yet know Jesus. And so as such, uh, we treat them as ones who are, are ignorant. So that's where the compassion, that's where the prayers, that, that's where, hey, let me, let me talk to you about Jesus. That's where the non-judgment comes in from a Christian perspective. You know, I, I would be making that same decision without Christ. A hundred percent guarantee. There, there's nothing good in me that would be making that decision otherwise. And so I'll leave it at that. All right, so <clears throat> the goodness of God is in this for us who are the believers and also for the unbelievers. Um, it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You don't have to be afraid about these kind of decisions. You are blessed uh, if you are the meek, for the meek will inherit the earth. And so as followers of Jesus, we enter into meekness always on these kind of decisions. We, we enter into meekness as, as those knowing that we don't have to strive, we don't have to be violent to take over the world in order to make sure that our rights to live are, are guaranteed. That's not the case. Um, I love that, that uh, Roe versus Wade was reversed. I, I, I genuinely really do. That's not, that's not what's going to change this issue long term. And so we, we continue to make laws. We continue to pursue those paths. Um, but in the end, it's going to be you and me having conversations about people that just don't yet know their father who wants to kiss them with his presence, with his love. And that's what you and I were made for. Because uh, you are also blessed if you give mercy to others, you will also receive mercy. You are also uh, like Christ if you suffer alongside those who are suffering. And so part of the call as a church is recognize that there are people, there are women especially, that are in very terrifying circumstances and situations. And it is our call to enter into those situations with them and support, care for, encourage, wash, build up, support financially, all those things. And so no one's going to be left alone in the church. No one's going to be left alone in this issue with with, uh, with our family, no matter where they are in this. Um, if you guys have, uh, maybe like 12, 13 years ago, there was a wonderful film called Bella that came out, um, and it was about this issue. It was just about how Jesus walks with a woman who is trying to decide whether or not to keep a baby or not. Jesus is going to walk with you no matter what. <clears throat> and so for those that have decided at times to have an abortion, Jesus is with you. He's not going to ever leave you, ever, 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 ever. You can always turn to him, and all shame and all condemnation is gone. Okay, so that's, that's what I had for today. We're going to get out a little early. <clears throat> Let me say a goodbye prayer to you. <laughs> Let me pray.
Jesus, our joy is full. <laughs> Lord, I, uh, I ask that you'd remind people right now of how many times they have given of themselves for another. How many times this happened in just small ways. A small prayer prayed one day, letting someone come in the land instead of cutting them off. <laughs> All the ways, God, that we've given big. We, we've, we've given of ourselves. We, we've given our, our, our bodies to another. Remind everyone in this room of that right now, what I ask. Father, you, your son says that our joy would be full when we do these things. And so, Lord, increase joy in the room right now as we simply remember how we've given of ourselves. Father, in this world, it, it feels at times like an attack or it feels like there's violence around us around issues like this. <clears throat> but you tell us, Jesus, to be of good cheer, for you have already overcome the world. So I, I pray for my brothers and sisters today that they would be of good cheer around this issue, that they would mourn and experience the injustice that is around this issue, that they would lament, and that through it all they would be of good cheer. And so I ask that you would increase joy and courage for all of us to face these issues with the calm confidence of Jesus. Jesus, all of us have made decisions out of fear, of lack, which anyone would do at times. <clears throat> and so we also, Lord, ought to be the first to have compassion for those that would make a, a very difficult decision in face of lack. And I pray, Father, that you would give this church and all who are listening to this abundance. Terrifying abundance, God. So much abundance, God, that it actually brings about the fear of God. <clears throat> and that through our abundance, Lord, uh, our generosity would, would give people courage that they can have their child. Father, I know this is not simply an issue that is surrounded around women. And as a guy, Father, I, I grieve often at the irresponsibility of our men. At the same time, God, I see in Jesus the, the most responsible, generous king who is fully capable of saving the world in our men. And this is true of every man that's in this room, Lord, that they are just like Jesus, that they would give anything for life. And so, Father, thank you for making these men in this room overcomers, protectors, women, honorable toward them, courageous, God, and I, I thank you for it, God. And Dad, I love you. Let us now go forth in your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, friends, uh, if you would please stand. I could have asked you to do that a second ago. Um, we're going to have some folks come forward for prayers. Is there a prayer team? Yes, so the prayer team, if they would, please come forward right now. Uh, it would be normal uh, if you have even like just prayer concerns or questions after a message like this to, to want to pray. So please take advantage of these people who love you dearly and know Jesus well and would be happy to pray for anything that you have on your heart and need. And uh, this week as you go forward, remember that you are the kings and the priests of this world. People are going to know the Father through you. 
And everywhere you go, you reign in life. I love you guys. Amen. You've been listening to the Gate Charlotte's podcast. Consider subscribing so you don't miss a message. We're sending this to someone who might need encouragement today. Thanks for joining us.